Are you living the crazy life of a sports parent? This is Sports Parenthood, the podcast packed with cool conversations with sports people, coaches and professionals for rookie sports parents just like you. You'll hear nuggets of gold in every episode with your hosts, fellow sports parents, John and Tiffany Bonacera. If athletes get their nutrition right, it's free speed, according to our guest this week, sports dietitian Peter Carriage. It makes perfect sense that good nutrition is often the missing link in an athlete's performance. That means two athletes, equal ability, equal fitness, the nutrition can actually get them over the line. But if you're anything like us, it's not easy trying to fuel growing kids with growing training loads. There's lots of misinformation out there based on opinion, not science. And that is something that is driving professionals like Peter absolutely crazy. Since 2005, she's worked with many elite sporting teams and athletes. And in this episode, you'll hear from Peter on the one pre-competition food that's always a winner. Plus, is carbo-loading still relevant? And have you ever heard of pickle juice? It's got a lot of benefits. The next 45 minutes is packed with practical and surprising tips from Peter, who really knows her stuff. The conversation starts with her own background in sport. Yeah, so I I grew up uh, living and breathing sport, predominantly with um, actually sprinting background. My dad was a sprinter and he played NRL. Both my brothers played NRL and I was the youngest by a long way and I just wanted to keep up with them. So my earliest memories was actually doing sprint training in the backyard on the farm and then also trying to keep up with my siblings, just doing whatever training they were doing. And then me personally, I ended up getting into touch football and playing rep in that little world. And then I got into uni and besides uni games, which I wouldn't really call sport, sport eventually had to take a bit of a back seat when I got into working in sport because, Mm. as you would know, it's a a seven-day-a-week job. So I couldn't really commit to as much team stuff as I would have liked to. Um, And I've been working in professional sport in some capacity since 2005, which makes me feel old. Not as old as us. (laughs) Thankfully. (laughs) Thanks, mate. (laughs) I'll get there. I'm really, I remember when other dietitians used to say they'd been a dietitian for 10 years. I'd go, oh, my my God. God, Eternity. Forever. Yes. So. Well, to give you some clarity, we've got boys in our full-time squad that were born in 202. Oh, I know. That makes me feel. They're playing professional sport. So and they were only old. born just before you started work. So old. But, yeah, lucky enough to work uh, in NRL since 2005 uh, at Brisbane Broncos, Newcastle Knights and Manly Seagulls. Um, it sounds bad having three teams to my name, but I was at uh, Broncos for seven years and I've been at Manly now for six. And then I've worked, I work with Australian Rugby Sevens for six years with the men's and women's program, taking the girls to their Golden Rio Wow. Lots of individual athletes, lots of sprinters. I love working with sprinters, endurance runners. Uh, now working a bit with the Gillaroos. What else have I done, John? I don't know. Touch uh, football players. Lots. New South, New South Wales State of Origin. Oh, yeah. I've, I've been with New South Wales State of Origin. Um, I really love, I mean, yes, the top 
top team in professional sport is a lot of um, actually just food service management. But I love working with the development athletes in like the origin pathways or any pathway programs because that's where you get to have a big impact. Um, and Broncos had a fabulous pathway program from 13 years onwards. And the pathway program I started with at Broncos, every single player in that made an NRL debut, I think, bar one. And, and similar with the origin, you see these boys from, you know, 14 years of age and then up to playing opens, that stuff's really rewarding. And, and that in sport, that development age group is definitely what I love most, believe it or not. I guess in, you know, talking about those pathways and being involved in so many different uh, professional sporting environments, I guess the one common thing theme amongst others is food is always on the minds of athletes. That's definitely uh, in our experience, my personal experience, John still food is always on his mind. Yes. Can, uh, can you give us an idea of uh, the impact of food on performance? I am biased, but it is 80%, you know, like it's everything that you put in your in your mouth results in how you perform at training and then your training dictates how you perform uh, when it comes to game day or race day. And the way I explain it is if you get your nutrition right, it's free speed. So if your child or your athlete has their nutrition right versus their opposition who doesn't, but they're of equal fitness and ability, then the child with better nutrition will outperform the other. I don't think we give it an, enough of a priority in the early days, but also we're learning so much more now in how the food impacts the sleep, how it impacts mm-hmm. the recovery and how it even impacts you know, our mental ability. But unfortunately, it's often seen as the icing on top of the cake, so it's not always mm. given enough attention early on. Uh, and, look, the attention early on is actually just to get a healthy, balanced diet. So when I talk about those development pathways, the things we do in those development pathways is talk about, you know, what a healthy diet should be looking like mm. and how many, I talk in fists, you know, how many fists of vegetables should be on your dinner plate. Yeah. And we do things like teaching 14-year-olds, uh, let's, we're just going to make a healthy breakfast and we make smoothies and, mm-hmm. you know, so we do start with the true basics. Um, sometimes those basics are overlooked. But then when you get, as you get older and further along in your sport, um, it definitely plays a really big role. With regard to developing athletes, Peter, and school age, anyone who's participating in any form of sport, snacks tends to be a big factor, particularly between, you know, finishing school in the afternoon and starting training in the evening. Mm -hmm. Could you share some of your suggestions with us about what might be appropriate and easily digestible at those times? Yeah, so I'm actually going to take it one step back from that, John. And the majority of athletes that I see, especially in private practice, and they're going through growth spurts and they're very good at their sports, the one thing I see is that they are not eating enough lunch first and foremost, especially if they're kids that have got are at the stage where they're doing double training sessions. But I can usually always double their lunches and it's not and parents feel really bad and I'm always really careful on how I word it because they just don't know but at that if they're in high school they're often growing and their body's trying to keep up with their energy expenditure through sport so their energy requirements are the highest they'll ever be and this is when too at that age especially in in or in boys and girls but more so in boys you'll see stress fractures arise, oh, right. you know, in your tennis players, your rowers, your rugby players, I, actually basically all sports I've seen a stress fracture in. 
So I always, if they've got that afternoon training session, first and foremost, you need to make sure they're having enough mm-hmm. at lunch. And that might be even a conversation of, I know you want to go play, but it's really important on Mondays, Wednesdays and Thursdays when you've got, mm. you go straight to training that you have a really big lunch. Um, and then that afternoon tea from lunch to training is 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 probably the most difficult it because is. the reality We're racing is racing around. Yeah, it's, it's they yeah. don't want to ram food in because it's not digestible before they compete or train. No, well, we've come from it work often as has well, to, so that's yes. tricky. And often it has to be a it has to last mm, afternoon exactly. tea, not get eaten before, but it also needs to be something that can stay in the bag the whole day. Yep. So things like trail mix, you know, this is where the dried fruit and nuts is is a good idea um, that they can nibble on. Some form of like crackers and cheese is great. Mm -hmm. Liquid stuff is great, but it depends what the parents can get their hands on. What sort of thing do you mean by that? Like a squeezed yogurt is really good, especially or um, one with some oats in it because it sits well with the kids. Other things that tend to work, some parents pick up like, you know, even if it's just a bread roll from a bakery, mm. that's okay. Like, you know, we that's okay for that. school kids well, or we, a piece we, of sushi. They mainly go for the fun buns. That's the problem. Uh, just the fun buns. The fun buns. <laughs> true. Mm-hmm. But at that time of day, you just got to get something into them. And don't forget about the old piece of fruit. But unfortunately, mm. if you hand a kid a piece of fruit in the afternoon, they're going to yeah, you get their the, nose. This is not great. Ours are just coming around a little bit around that. We they, always forget fruit's the best snack pre-training. Easy. The bananas. And easy. Bananas. Yeah. Shovel a banana. The other thing is like an, an extra sandwich that will keep to the end yep. of the day. So like yep. what I call kitty sandwiches. Um, so something that you would have had in primary school. You know, there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with a, a just a plain Vegemite cheese sandwich, sandwich or, or a plain peanut butter sandwich. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be on multi-grain, super rye <laughs> if it's before sport you know just something just that they will actually in. eat yeah um, and they always last to the afternoon the kitty sandwiches I, I do always have kitty sandwiches <laughs> in and then if they go home I think the best thing if they go home before training mm. is a bowl of cereal okay the good old bowl of cereal yeah. but we're not reaching for you know the cocoa pops sort of thing no. what sort of cereal would you go for I mean would you sort of reach wheat for the old-fashioned wheat bix okay. yeah, yeah the muesli um Special K, there's really good, for every bad cereal on the market, there's some really good ones. And also, I mean, it, it does always vary depending on the energy expenditure of the child sitting yes. in front of me. You know, so someone going to under six football training <laughs> versus, you know, a 15-year-old male going through a growth spurt who mm. does rowing, rugby and cross country. Of course, yes. Um, you know, if he only wants Nutri-Grain in the afternoon, he can have it. Then give it to him. <laughs> you That's know? Okay. Yeah. You just got to get something in. And that's where, too, I actually find a little bit um, or some common trends that I see parents stumbling over is sometimes they're trying to be too healthy for their kids that are doing a ridiculous amount of training. Mm. So they're trying not to give them dried fruit or, no, he can't have Nutri-Grain or, no, I don't think up and goes are too high in sugar. And I'm like, they're in energy deficit. <laughs> like yes. he, they just need energy. So energy, he's yeah. not going to grow. They're not going to build muscle. They're, they're going to get injured if they don't meet their energy needs. So we've got to make sure what phase of nutrition we're in mm-hmm. as parents, mm-hmm. we don't then not force but portray us. Yeah, onto our children. Does that make sense? Yes, yes it does. Yes, it does. Because, um, yeah, you know, like we might be watching our sugar intake but and you've got to think what were you doing when you were back at that age? You were coming home. 
and having a and bowl of cereal. Everything. Uh, I'd have a whole then pre like pasta thing or two packets of two minute noodles, you know, yeah, and then absolutely. some crackers and then go to training. Yep. And I think we forget. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I think we forget and we we push on our children what phase of nutrition we're going through. And you know, nutrition does change depending on where you are in your own life and your life cycle. In our generation. Yes. Because you were talking about basically generations yeah, and where we are in true. our own lives. Yes. We were told to carbo-load pre-competition. Is this advice still current and relevant? Uh, look, it is depending on the time of your activity the next day. And actually I had um, uh, went over this with one of uh, our NRL players relatively recently and it reminded me, you know, he was trying to carbo-load the night before and then not eating enough the, the day of. So. For example, in NRL, most of the games are played at the earliest four o'clock, but mm. sometimes not till eight o'clock. So we have the whole day to actually get our energy in for that nighttime game. Mm-hmm. But then if I'm dealing with uh, someone that's doing a 7 a.m. marathon mm. or a 7 a.m. 100-kilometre endurance race or they've got little athletics carnival where they're going all day, then, yes, carbo-loading is okay. Mm-hmm. So... And I definitely grew up with carbo loading, but then it it did turn into garbo loading as I went to touch carnivals. (laughs) Like it was just bring whatever Mm. lollies and chocolates you had. So it does have a place, but it depends on the activity they're doing. It also depends on how much they can eat in between. Mm. You know, at a swimming event, they might be able to have lots of snacks. Mm -hmm. So the most important thing the night before is to actually have a meal that uh, mentally and psychologically sits well. Yep. With, okay. with with the child and the athlete. So if the tradition still is spag bowl, then yep. that's okay. But, uh, you know, I've worked with lots of triathletes that actually prefer homemade pizzas. It's still got carbohydrates, mm-hmm. it's still a bit salty, but it's not as heavy. Or my husband, when he was athletic, I shouldn't say that, when he was it's okay, guy. It's okay, mate. You really did throw him under the bus there. <laughs> We've got a newborn. Neither of us that's at the that's moment. Fair. We get it. When he was doing endurance races, um, the go-to we would do would be like a penne and pasta, you know. So it's about finding what sits well with yeah. you and something a little bit salty. But otherwise, I just say just, you know, have a little bit more carbohydrates as a portion on your plate, but you don't need to go overboard mm-hmm. because the other thing with heavy carbohydrates is carbohydrates is where all our fibre comes from. So having a big load of fibre the night before, you might be having multiple races and you toilet. get nervous. Yeah, it can actually upset your belly the next day. So, Peter, day of, what sort of carbs, carbs would you recommend for, you know, I, I've heard people say, you know, they felt heavy or kind of bloated. What would you recommend is, is a good, easily digestible option sort of three, four hours before event? Yeah, so the, the day of, uh, my first rule on a game day or competition day is to always try and have the same breakfast you have mm-hmm. every other day mm-hmm. plus one extra serve of carbohydrate. Okay. So if you always have three wheat bix you might have four or you might have if you always have two pieces of toast you might have two pieces of toast but on game day add a banana because you know that that breakfast sits well with you so that's something that you should try not to change and then it's not to be scared once again and this is where sometimes parents in their nutrition mind frame might 
over-influence their kids, it's okay to have white bread and something easy digestible on competition day. Um, And then I find girls tend to tolerate drier food options, so they're Mm -hmm. more likely to tolerate, you know, your toast and Vegemite type items or a simple sandwich, whereas boys, if they get nervous, tolerate liquids better. So they'll be able to stomach an up-and-go or a smoothie if they get a bit nervous. The one thing that I've never had athletes not be able to tolerate is um, crumpets, really easy to digest. So if you're someone that I can't eat beforehand and I've had so many players that I can't eat game day, like try two crumpets for me and they're like, oh, yeah, these are awesome because they're so low in fibre, mm-hmm. straight carbohydrates, and at least then you're getting something yep. in. A no stomach upset. No mm. stomach upset. We'll skip to drinks. Our daughter, for example, at Swimming Meets, she comes and harasses us, you know, between, you know, races. I need a sports drink. I need a sports drink. And I know other teenagers in particular are, are quite similar. What do you think of sports drinks? Look, working at the elite level, um, I mean, I use them quite a lot, especially mm-hmm. for your football codes mm-hmm. and, you know, rugby sevens, it's such an intense sport. But the where they're meant to be used is to refuel and rehydrate mm-hmm. faster mm-hmm. than water. Mm-hmm. So that's what they were created to do, so to use post-event, um, right. especially in younger, um, unless you've got a plan put together by a sports dietitian specifically, mm. uh, I would recommend using, you know, post-event. But even then, you really only need them post-event mm-hmm. if you've had 90 minutes of intense exercise. Okay. Okay. So that's, you know, if you're doing 60 minutes, you know, of on and off sport, mm-hmm. uh, you, you really need to be, yeah, over that 60, closer to 90 minutes of intense exercise, then it's definitely warranted to have a sports drink to help you rehydrate. Okay. So we can tell her no. Is that yeah, what that comes the, down I to? suppose the only thing then too, if they've got multiple races, yes, don't underestimate you know little bits. So the taste of sweetness in our mouth, like your gels and your sports drinks in your mouth, have a positive impact on your performance because we've got receptors in our mouth that then tell us that we've had being basically given carbohydrate, oh, God, God, given interesting. sugar. I didn't ever think about and it. So like then, that. so that there is a bit of a psychological impact mm. and, and I know John you play touch football at half half time or if you, you're subbing in touch football you can't skull anything but you put a little bit of Powerade in your mouth before you go yeah. back on and, you, and it kind of go yep okay I've got it I've got some energy to go again so don't underestimate you know but then you don't want them sculling whole bottles of Powerade mm. in between events and not eating food mm. got it mm. so okay. never to be used as an alternative to food yes unless for example they need to recompete in a short space of time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, and, and, yeah, I think, you know, and that's sometimes we're just craving that, you know, little that bit hit. of hit and that's what they do. You have a sip of those sweet drinks and it tells, and it works, tells your brain you've got energy and off you go. Quick segue there, Peter. You just brought me to something when you talked about having certain liquids in your mouth and the receptors that are there and what mm. it tells our brain. Is that the same principle with something like pickle juice? In a, yes, in a sporting exactly. capacity where we're, av- we're avoiding cramps. It's exactly how pickle juice works. Yeah, so it's swirling in the mouth and spit yep. out, not yep. swallow. Yep. But it- so with, with athletes that have really, and, and you've seen me do this, so, or easier when I do fluid balance testing, which is complicated, or if I have an athlete that has, um, we've got body composition issues and we really need to get them down and they're saying in a fluid balance I don't let them have Powerade, 
or an athlete I might ban from having Powerade during field sessions in pre-season because I'm mean. Um, <laughs> but I'll say you can still swish the Powerade around in your mouth and spit it out and you'll get a kick. So, And then the pickle juice is the exact same thing. So it, it's shocking because it's of the taste of it. it. It works in the exact same mechanism to the point where we don't actually know how it works, but it works through the, you know, receptors in your mouth, sending a signal to your brain and shocking your body out of the cramp. Okay. And your muscles react accordingly. Yep. See, it's, it's cool, isn't it? It is. It's very cool. I've actually never heard of that. Um, well, I've only learned about it in the last couple of years right. and in, in particular um, watching Peter's work and the work that we do on the sideline at Manly mm-hmm. and many boys and in particular in a season such as now where they're unable to play when they're not getting selected each week and all of a sudden they're asked to play 80 minutes of NRL, which mm. is a massive demand for anybody and cramping is a big factor there and as a result we, we carry pickle juice on the sideline and we uh, we take it out to the boys and as they're playing and to try and jump them out of it because we can't replace them. Mm, okay. Yeah. So no, it's it's been yeah been around for it's a recent thing probably uh, I don't maybe, know maybe actually four probably, or five yeah, years four, four four or five years um, and now they've got of course pickle juice shots but look I just, the tip is you buy the cheapest pickles because they have more juice. <laughs> oh, <sweet>. <laughs> <laughs> then you just use nice. <laughs> you Love just use okay. that from. From performance, we'll jump across to recovery. Can we talk about some food strategies for recovery? How long post-training or post-competition should an athlete refuel and and what should they be looking for? Just before you answer, this is something that we personally struggle with. I feel like our kids, you know, we have to really make the point about this and they complain and whinge at us. So um, we'd love a great answer to come back at them with some, uh, you know, expert advice because they, their ears are closed when we try and say anything at all. And I think ultimately we're aware, having been athletes at some point, well, at least my wife has, we know that post-competition sometimes the last thing a person wants is food. <gasps> Mm. So, Do you know what? Can I just have a little bit of a say here? I remember when I was about 19, um, 20, maybe 19, 20, I ran the city to surf. Um, it was the first time I ever ran it. I absolutely flogged myself. In the end, I actually won the under 20 race, so I must have been 19. Um, and my mum, as soon as I, you know, as soon as I got to see her, she she dangled a, a can of Diet Coke in front of me and I sculled the whole thing and I can still taste that taste and I have never touched Diet Coke since. Oh, my gosh. That's the, that's As soon as you said that, that's what came to mind. But anyway, that was a little segue. Well, Sorry about mine's, that. Mine's bourbon. Oh not, not. <laughs> Why would you that, reveal that, that, that to that's our the listeners? That's taste that I can't take anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I don't know if the Diet Coke would have helped oh replenish your glycogen Oh, my gosh, not at all, not at all. So That's I'd love hilarious. to hear what you've got to say. Oh, look, it is tough because it is the last thing on, I think, especially teenagers' minds. And this is where liquids is often the easiest thing to get in. Why we need to get food in early, and that, that window is under a little bit of, you know, research, and we now think the window is a little bit bigger than what we say, but roughly we say the magic window is Mm -hmm. 30 minutes because if we get some liquids in, the faster we replace the stores of energy that we have in our muscles. Mm -hmm. I usually do this visually and then you should see me. I'm talking with my hands and pointing to my quads, so I'm trying to make sure I actually verbalise it. But 
we have obviously energy stores in our blood and then energy stores in our Mm -hmm. muscle, which is called glycogen. And we like those stores to be Mm -hmm. full. Like our body doesn't like those to go empty. The faster we replace those stores in our muscles, then that's what results in us having less muscle soreness Mm -hmm. in the following days, you know, so reduction of DOMS. So that's how it has a really big impact on our recovery. And then also if we don't replace those stores, which is carbohydrates, okay, then we're not going to have any extra energy uh, when we do get some protein into our systems to actually do any repair Mm -hmm. of any damaged muscles, which every time you exercise you do get a little bit of muscle damage to the fibres. So you need to repair and replace and grow that. So so the rule of thumb is actually some carbohydrates first and Mm -hmm. foremost. So you might rehydrate and refuel with carbohydrates, which you can do to, in ones. So that's where there might be a sports drink or you might have some water and then, um, you know, good old-fashioned chalky milk or up and go. And then you want a quality protein food to follow. And that might be a chicken and salad sandwich from, you know, the tuck shop mm-hmm. that's available or a burger if there's some burger available. That's good news for the kids. Yogurt. Yeah, look, you know, burgers or a steak mm-hmm. sandwich, you know, that's great if it's there. And then after you've had some, you've ticked all those three box, boxes, mm-hmm. so you, you rehydrate, you refuel, and then you replenish. And then if they want something naughty, that's when you have something mm-hmm. naughty cool. after that. Um, Chucky Sunday. Yeah, so absolutely. You're addicted. As long as he's you addicted. The- Just saying, Peter, he's addicted. He sneaks <laughs> through the drive through for a double chalk Sunday. I'm not joking. Sunday. He's so gone downhill. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty true, Peter. The reason I haven't responded is because it's all true. It's all, all true. true. Hey, look, we all have our vices and I think COVID has really it Hasn't it? Them it has brought them to us. the fore. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Oh, mine's chocolate licorice. Oh, it's mate. Dark chocolate licorice. Bullets last five minutes in our Bullets. house. Yes. We just can't, we can't get enough of them. I'm pretty good at rationing, but it's just my go-to. I feel like I'm... Just just enough sweetness to get me through. But anyway, have we you, digress. Have so you had the licorice if you blocks? get some good food in, then There's, no. There are licorice chocolate blocks of chocolate, like dairy milk. Oh, and yeah, that would be They are last pretty long. good. That's not good to find that out in my house. I'm going to bring you no, one the next so- time I see you at work. <laughs> don't, please don't. I really don't need that at the moment. Um, okay. So, yeah, and look, don't, if they've had something good to recover with, then dose, that, that is the time for them mm-hmm. to have a treat afterwards because they often have expended so much on mm-hmm. competition day. That's why they're, they're asking to go through a certain drive-through. Um, yes, it's okay. Because their body's still telling them that they they need more So energy. it's rehydrate, refuel, replenish, and then treat. Yep. Sweet. Yeah. So I guess I've just skipped something here, but, you know, based on what you've been saying, Peter, and, and you did sort of refer to it earlier as well, which I think is music to the kids' ears, and look, I guess it's music to our ears to a certain extent too, that there is a place for junk food for young athletes. I think too we have to be careful of, once again, I think, as parents, our classification of junk food is probably a little bit different. Mm. You know, I, I think we have to be careful with really active kids, and we're talking about mm-hmm. really active kids that are training, you know, five to mm-hmm. ten times a week, that, you know, we're not classifying. A chocolate milk. Up and goes and chocolate milk mm-hmm. is junk yes. food and sushi is mm-hmm. junk food, you know. But then obviously we need to make sure they're covering all their bases with 
their vegetables mm. and fruit first before we're throwing lollies at them at night time. And, and what I don't want to see kids doing is, is turning to lollies for their energy kick before mm-hmm. training in the afternoon because they haven't eaten mm. lunch or breakfast. Mm. You know, of course they're going to turn, they're going to want a Coke and they're going to want a pack of Skittles because they haven't eaten enough quality carbohydrates throughout that day. But then I think these days we're classifying those, yeah, your chalky milks and, you know, oh, I don't think uh, she's already had two pieces of fruit. She Mm. can't have another piece of fruit today. I'm like, ah, no, no, no. If they need it, then these foods, uh, they're probably falling the discretionary, Mm -hmm. like at a tuck shop, they'd be called amber foods. But for active kids, those amber foods are completely fine. Do they need to be having ice cream doused in Milo every night? Probably not. That's yum, especially if you mix it all together. Uh, (laughs) But yogurt and muesli, yes, absolutely, if they're still hungry after dinner. We do do the frozen Um, fruit and yogurt. That seems to go down right. Yeah, perfect. And, And you got to listen to the kids if they're saying, and you know your child if they're, yep. you know, if they don't, if they're going through a gross spurt or they're going through a heavy training load, then you got to listen mm. to them. If they're still hungry, they probably are still hungry. Versus, you know, if, if you would also know if your child is a little, is overweight, which um, the statistics, which I have on my screen, is quite scary. And admittedly, Australia hasn't done these this data in a while. What's uh, it looking like? But age 15 to 24, mm. we have, I think, a third of our kids aged 15 to 24 are now overweight or mm. obese. 38% of Indigenous children are overweight or obese and it's increased from 31% and 25% of children in adolescent age, so 2 to 17 and 2 and 3 adults. So about a quarter of our children are damned overweight or obese so you know they're the kids that obviously you know you need to even monitor Mm. your discretionary kids but I think we're getting confused with that portion of Mm -hmm. the population versus the really active kids so yeah it it does alter based on the child sitting in front of you but if they're hungry or they're not growing Mm. is another really telltale sign then you might need to loosen the reins a little bit okay that's Great. Now, this is a question that kind of is a little bit of a bugbear of mine, um, as as we've talked about, where the parents of two girls, one of them is a teenager. Now, she is um, much to my Chagrin. disdain, if that's, you know, the right word, quite heavily influenced by what she's seeing on social media. Um, and there are a lot of influencers out there pushing natural products such as supplements, powders, protein bars, and so forth. What are your thoughts on on these products? Would you call them natural? Well, possibly not. Some of them are declaring themselves natural <laughs> yeah, is probably guess, more uh, the reference. And, it bothers and me a lot. nominating themselves lot. as experts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, look. Social media experts make me want to quit I think my job. So. I don't blame you. Quite often, it's it's very very frustrating. And one of the latest fad diets, which is heavily meat based, is actually being promoted by someone with no qualifications that has self confessed mm, eating disorder. Wow. So you just like go if you actually look into yeah. where things are coming from, it's quite scary. Look, number one, they're mm-hmm. not natural. You know, these are actually mm-hmm. processed foods. So no matter how you spin it, you know, paleo banana bread is not healthier for you. Mm. Uh, protein balls, you know, didn't exist no. 10 years ago. Now they're everywhere. It's funny you ask that question after I've just given you mm-hmm. some statistics. As, as a nation and, and in our, our children as well, we are becoming more and mm. more overweight. 
yet the supplement and vitamin industry is a multi-billion dollar industry that is growing at a ridiculous rate. So if you just know those two facts alone, you should be able to figure it out. That does not make Mm -hmm. sense. The reason why that industry is growing is because everyone Mm -hmm. wants a quick Mm -hmm. fix. And so everyone's looking for and something that's going to make them feel better or get faster overnight. And it just doesn't exist. And you have to remember those companies are very Mm -hmm. good at their marketing. They research the wording on everything. They research the colours. It's to the point where I obviously do work, use those certain products at the elite level, but the, the, the branding of the products changes so much. I spend a lot of my time educating athletes of, oh, no, this is this now and this is this and, and oh, the, the ratio have got to reduce how much, name changes. So athletes mm. who don't have time to, you know, they turn to me for that information, they, they find mm. it confusing. So I can only imagine what a teenage mm. athlete, how confusing they mm. would find it. Definitely no, no place for it under 18 unless under the guidance of a mm-hmm. sports dietitian. So your elite athletes, you know, if they are around that 17, 16 years of age, may be looking to include some supplements into their training mm-hmm. regime. But also supplements were created for convenience. Mm-hmm. So they were created for the rowers training out at the Olympic, you know, rowing village that couldn't access food mm-hmm. for recovery. If you have access to food for recovery, that is the best okay. thing to consume because you're getting the nutrients you need to recover, but also vitamins and minerals and fiber and nutrients that actually keep you healthy as well. Got it. So the premise is you can use those things under the appropriate guidance, but food is always preference number one. Absolutely. Food first. And any any institution Manly Seagulls, we've got a supplement um, policy. AIS has a supplement policy. New South Wales Rugby League I work for has a supplement policy. And in those supplement policies, it says that our stance is always food first. If we can recover with food, we would want you to recover with food. And any introduction of supplements, be it, you know, even something as a protein bar or a basic powder, should be under the guidance of a sports Mm -hmm. dietitian once they've analysed your diet as a whole. Great. That's quite clear. It it is. And and it's there in black. And I'm actually really, since I started in professional sport, the trend is actually athletes don't want to use a lot of supplements if they Mm -hmm. don't have to. And also professional teams include food into their budgets and food into their recovery programs. So where we can, we feed the athletes uh, with food to help them recover. So making sure they're getting the right things nutritionally and healthily and all their, I suppose, health bases covered rather than just throwing supplements in front of them. And some athletes will choose not to have any supplements, which is fabulous. And then I just make sure they're, they're bringing and consuming adequate food for their recovery because it is it does come with a risk. Even the safe supplements, you know, they have to be careful these mm. days. And a lot of individual athletes will, will just not touch them. And that's the smart choice. It is. It is. 100% it is because it's as you said, with name changes and everything that happens and non-batch tested products, it's quite easy for something to happen, isn't it? Yeah, and look, a lot of athletes, even in in the higher level, don't get adequate mm, education mm. in this area. So even though my teams might get a compulsory, they get like compulsory drug testing education, which says, you know, don't take mm. anything. I'm like, they don't understand what that means. I will get in front of them and say, look at this product, find the label that tells me mm. that it's safe. And it's a tiny, tiny little thing that you have to search for and you need to know what you're searching for. Mm. 
So yeah, but then they go know, to boost juice and order a protein shake, and you're yeah, like, what so protein are they like putting they in there? They need to be yes, so they need to be educated on all of this. And unfortunately, as we've said, nutrition isn't always the first thing that comes to mind. So unless they've got access to really good support in this area, it is a lot safer just to avoid That's it altogether. Great advice. In closing, Peter, and this is a bit of a tough question: Have you got any uh, stories or examples of your lived experience that that might be helpful to us as parents or to athletes out there that are heading on a pathway towards an elite career? A couple of things stick with me. I think the best thing you can do if your kids are heading down the path of professional sport or potentially going to be moving away from home Mm -hmm. due to their sporting ambition in the future is get them in the Mm -hmm. kitchen. Uh, I've been really lucky to work with some, you know, well-serviced sports over the years and the most rewarding part of my job and is actually why I wanted to become a sports dietitian is because I remember my brothers going into NRL teams and telling me about how they had to do cooking classes and I was like, that is so cool because I love food. I love cooking food. And then imagine combining sport with mm. that aspect. But it's amazing how many athletes over the years, and I could name and shame, which I won't, but it breaks my heart that they, they don't know how to chop a vegetable. Yes. They don't know how to cook the basics. They don't know what to get themselves for breakfast. And I, I love educating them and, and I love that they mm. ask for help and that, as I said, that's a passion mm. of my area, but... I wish I could have got to the parents earlier and said, you know, your son or daughter's about to mm. move away, you know, make sure she can cook a couple of mm, dinners. That's great. An omelette, you know, those kind mm. of basics. Um, so that's an area which I think we sometimes forget about, that to have athletes eat nutritious food, they need to mm. be able to cook nutritious mm-hmm. food. And the other thing I've already touched on is It's amazing how many young athletes, the parents have brought them in because they're tired, which is great, Um, and we sit down and and I don't think the parents understand how much food they need to be Mm. consuming or have had the young athletes that have had a stress fracture due to not meeting their energy requirements. Mm. So if you do get your nutrition right, it can prevent these really big injuries in young athletes, and I don't think parents realise that. And even if you think you are nailing it, there is nothing wrong with going to get a consult to double check. There's no diet a sports dietitian can't tweak. So don't be scared to ask those questions because I think, and as a parent myself, like now, you know, I think we food is very um, mm. sensitive and every parent wants to think that they are doing the right thing and wants to think that they are in almost an expert in that area, but we're not, uh, we're not like I ask my pediatric dietitians all the time. Like I'm a dietitian yet. I'll call them and go, Oh my God, I can't remember. What's my child meant to be eating Mm -hmm. at this age? You know, like I check in with them all the time and I'm a dietitian. So don't feel like you need to have all the answers. And I think, um, sometimes as parents, we feel like we should be getting the nutrition side, right. I think we, um, I think we all uh, would sort of understand that it is important. But I feel like, you know, perhaps like in many aspects of sports parenthood, we're often drawing on our own experiences, uh, which are perhaps not current and and not grounded in any sort of real evidence or you know, ex, real expertise. So I feel like that's probably where we fall short a little bit. Yeah, and and I also think in this day and age, we we underestimate the influence of mm. social media and also the power of yes. peers. Huge, so, huge. 
you, you know, young male athletes like in your rugby schools, where are they getting their nutrition advice? From their peers. Yes. Basically. So if one of them is taking a protein powder and creatine, then that mm. just yep. spreads like wildfire and you have the parents calling saying, little Johnny wants to take this yes, because, because Bill's little taking Billy's it. taking it. Yes. And it just ends up in this cascade of potentially down a rabbit hole, which is just not the right one. The other area that they do get it from is from their, their trainers and coaches. And look, I've worked with a lot of SNCs and a lot of coaches over the years, but they don't necessarily know anything about nutrition mm. either. No, absolutely so not. You have well, that's not their expertise, is it? Mm. Why, why, would we, why would we need you um, if they knew it all? Exactly. So you have to, those people weren't really, I don't know, I don't feel like that was as big an influence on us back in our day. No, no, I, I don't think it was either. Uh, I, I think you're right. But the the types of training and the level of expertise that uh, we have gone to both in a community and social setting right through to elite in terms of sport, you know, there's there's a million personal trainers out there mm-hmm. and I'm sure many of them are providing nutritional advice mm-hmm. and they've mm-hmm. done a, you know, a four-week course we won't, we won't where nutrition was, was one all, subject. We won't all upset but, about that as well. Yeah, but, don't even but, um, start on that. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I think ultimately, Peter, look, it's, about, it's about what's right, courses. not who's right. And Yeah, exactly. And I always say, so I do lots of education sessions for personal trainers for the minority that actually want to upskill on what they can do within their scope of practice. Um, And one point I really hammer home is, are you adding to the miss out there by spreading your Mm -hmm. opinion versus Mm -hmm. science? Oh, I love that. So are you sharing in your opinion this works or is that actually what will work based on evidence for the person mm-hmm. seen in front of you. And the bigger thing about social it's media opinion, and, right? you know, the new, yeah. it is opinion, but it's also just because something works Correct. for you does not mean it's going to work for the next person. So nutrition is very individual. You know, what's best for you is based on your, your training, your body composition, your genetics that you've inherited from your parents, you know, your background, the culture influences. You know, it's very specific to the person seen in front of you, whereas we're looking for these fad diets that we can apply to huge amounts of populations. But as I've said to those statistics, the fad diets aren't working. You know, so yeah, unfortunately, there's a lot of people adding mm-hmm. to the myths and misinformation. All right, out then there. on that point, um, for us people like you know John and I uh, who are flapping around um, trying to work out what to do, do you have you know one thing you know to give us clarity on our thoughts and what we should be doing? That piece of advice. Uh, look, I think you need to actually just start with having an open conversation with your kids, which I sounds like you two do. You know, and not being scared. I think sometimes we want to jump in with answers, whereas we probably need to jump in with questions. So how how are you feeling this week? Are you tired? Uh, how did you pull up today after, if you know they've had a heavy day? Like how's your soreness? And then that gives you a segue into what did you eat do today? Do you think you need to be eating more? How was your yeah. lunch? Absolutely. Does that make yep. sense? So sometimes don't jump in with and kids hate being told what to do by their parents. Are you to sure? this day, my mum told <laughs> I am sure because my mum told me to my be a doctor love it. <laughs> and I, I refused to study medicine because my mum had told me to do medicine mm. my whole teenage mm. years. Like to this day I know why I didn't do medicine. 
because she told me to. So it's <laughs> really interesting. Mm. That's it. Ask questions rather than trying to offer the solutions and then that might give you some ideas. And also you might be doing a fabulous job but they don't want to hear it from you, so that's where you need to take them to hear it from someone else. And, and if you do take them to see a professional, make sure you have that conversation with that health professional before you go in because the, in those private practice consults, I always find it very difficult to sometimes navigate with the parents mm-hmm. present. So sometimes I'll actually um, to go have a conversation with the mum or dad yes. beforehand and say, if you're comfortable, like if, you know, if you know you, you're doing, you're pretty well on the right track, but they're not listening to you, then I, I might have a conversation beforehand and say, if, if the daughter or the son is comfortable, um, send them in by themselves. Uh, yes. So th- there's ways then around that because, too, what the worst thing to do is if you go see a health professional and have mum answering or dad all, Answering all the questions. So. I told you, yes, and answering all the questions and... Yeah, so then that can completely backfire as well. That's gold. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sports Parenthood. Please leave a review, share with your friends, or visit our website, sportsparenthood.com.au, to connect. Catch you next week.